Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy. We are here at the end of 2020. Uh, we have made it almost to the end of December. Maybe by the time you're listening to, to this, it is uh, the end of December or perhaps even January. And I want to say thank you for making it through 2020 uh, with us, it's been a been a long year, especially for everyone in college baseball. Uh, but we were excited. We've been able to keep doing the podcast. And I've got to let you know that the Baseball America College podcast is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, uh, we're here. We have no guests this week. It's uh, it's going to be a kind of holiday-themed episode. We're, we're going to give out some, uh, some presents to the college baseball world, and we're going to make some New Year's resolutions and just generally have uh, you know a good holiday-like time here in this uh in this week between christmas and new year's before everything you know really gets uh gets going next month as, as players start returning to campus the abca virtual convention uh, is held for coaches and uh yeah i mean at that point the season will be right around the corner but for now here we are in kind of this uh relaxed week uh between between these two major holidays i used to always joke at previous jobs that I've had in more traditional office jobs that had, you know, these, you know, the kind of typical holiday situation in offices where you got a skeleton crew. And I used to always joke that basically, especially when Christmas falls more kind of at the, the end of the week that no work really gets done between let's say December 23rd and like January 5th. Like that's just kind of the way it, um, the way, it, the way it goes. And that, kind of seems that way just in general too, not just in an office setting that everything just kind of, you know, grinds to a little bit of a halt and goes on pause for a couple of weeks. And that's not so bad. I mean, it is the holiday season and especially in, in this year, as trying as this year has been, it's a good time for everybody to maybe stop and take a, a deep breath. And I'll echo what you said at the top that, uh, you know, while life will not magically change a whole lot on January 1st, 2021, I think there is something to be said for, getting through this year together. And I'm certainly thankful for all of the listeners who hung with us through some really weird months. And while I am extremely proud of the work that, that Teddy and I did on this podcast in April, May, June, especially in, in what was the time where we were expecting to have a whole lot to talk about. And we ended up with just not very much to talk about except for really dark, depressing subjects. So I'm really proud of that work. I also hope to never have to do it again. 
just never again. Not that, you know, it's fun to flex that creativity muscle and come up with some concept ideas and, you know, try to make lemonade out of lemons. But man, uh, we made way more lemonade out of so, so few lemons. So uh, it was good stuff, but certainly hoping to not have to, uh, not have to, to go down that route again anytime in the near future. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, never want to see the College World Series canceled again. Never want to, you know, look up on March 12th and think, oh, well, no more baseball for a couple months. Like, uh, you know, it's uh, no one wants to go through that again. And, and we're hopeful that the 2021 season, you know, as strange as it may end up being, that it gets played through to completion. And, you know, there's reason to believe that it will be and that, uh, you know, that maybe there, there's a corner to be turned somewhere soon on this if it hasn't been already. Uh, but yeah, definitely really appreciate everyone who listened, who subscribed uh, throughout, you know, those months and, and this fall. It, it hasn't been easy, uh, you know, making baseball content without actual baseball games, uh, you know, except for the the few summer leagues that we're able to play at uh you know, we've uh, we've been able to do it, though, and, and hopefully, you know, everyone has appreciated it and, and taken some solace in it or, uh, you know, just enjoyed enjoyed whatever it is we've been doing. And, and uh, you know, hopefully you, you stick with us into 2021 and, and remember to uh, to subscribe if you're not subscribed already, uh, because we do intend to you know continue making the podcast, uh, you know, certainly at least once a week leading up to the season. And then once we get into the season, whenever that actually happens, we'll, uh, we'll undoubtedly go back to some sort of twice a week uh, format like we, uh, like we were going with during the, the brief 2020 season. So I too am looking forward to this episode. Sometimes it's kind of nice. You know, I love talking to, to coaches and players and, and being able to get a little bit of local flavor and, and maybe get a little bit silly with them in some cases, but it is kind of nice when it's just a you and I episode because I feel like we get a little, little more of a chance to, you know, clear the paint to use a basketball term and just kind of maybe go a little bit longer on some stuff and, and maybe play around with some concepts. That's what we'll do today. I will start us off in that vein with a fun hypothetical. So throughout the off season, this extended off season, um, speaking of content, we just kind of, you know, pulled out of thin air. Sometimes we were doing top 25, just about every week. We probably did it. I don't know, 95% of Mondays since the season ended. And one of them that, that actually did, we got a lot of positive response to, um, it was actually, full disclosure, one of the easier ones to put together because we were just using data that kind of already existed, was the one that listed the top 25 winningest programs in college baseball history. Now, these are raw wins. These are not wins per season or anything like that because those standings would have looked quite a bit different. It's just total wins. So number one was Fordham. We've talked about this before because we talked about this top 25 at the time, but they've played 160 seasons of baseball, which is a lot. And they've won 4,627 games. Texas is second. Now they've played many fewer seasons. They've played 36 fewer seasons to be exact. And they have 3,526 wins. That's basically 1,100 fewer wins than Fordham. So my hypothetical is this. Which of these two, and, and by the way, Michigan is third, but they're almost, I mean, they're more than 500 wins behind even Texas. So there's really, it's like Fordham, then a huge gulf and then Texas, and then like a slightly smaller golf before you start getting into teams that are relatively clustered closely. So I'm going to just use Texas here. Which of these things happens first? Texas catches Fordham or civilization as it exists now no longer exists. Now, how many wins is Fordham ahead by again? 1,100. 
Eleven hundred. That's a now, lot. Of, that's a lot of wins. It's, it's a lot of wins, and you know the issue with with this is that you know everyone plays the same amount of games now, and Fordham is not a bad baseball program. You know, so Texas maybe maybe could say like in a good year pick up like 20 more wins than Fordham but like realistically they're probably averaging something more like 10 or 15 more um you know kind of off the top of my head without looking at Fordham win totals for the last 10 years but if that's the case I mean that's going to take an awful long time at 10 to 15 more wins a year to erase 1100 so I'm going to say that uh, you know, not necessarily that civilization ends, uh, but that college baseball, as we know it, uh, you know, changes dramatically again before Texas could could catch the Rams. Now, whether that means you know, Fordham, uh, you know, does something like drops down to D three, or you know the the schism that that often is talked about, an, an idea of a one A, one double A uh, baseball situation exists. Uh, you know, something like that happens, and Fordham ends up not with Texas anymore. Uh, I, I would say that that probably is is the situation you're looking at, because otherwise, I mean, that's it, just it's daunting, you know. Yeah, so your, your train of thought is exactly – so I thought of this hypothetical over the weekend <clears throat> just randomly, and your thought process was exactly the one that I had when I first thought about it. It's just that, you know, if Texas is really lucky, they might be able to – I actually thought the exact same number you did. If they're really lucky, they can pick up 20 games, and it would have to be every year, and that's still going to be a really long time. That's 55 years. Right, 55 years of making up, you know, 20 games a year, which is not a sustainable pace necessarily, and actually Fordham because Texas – wasn't very good in 2019 Fordham last couple of years has actually, you know, uh, widened the gap a little bit probably because Fordham to your point has been pretty good the last few years. And, and they've been, I'm looking at their, their page now year by year. And, and there were some low years at the early part of this century, but for the most part, they're at least 500 overall. So they're, you know, Texas, the other complicating factor too, is that, you know, Texas is in the big 12, even in years, they're pretty good. They're going to take losses. You know, there's been some really great Texas teams, but even really good ones are going to take, you know, 15, 17, 20 losses in a year. So it's hard to really rattle off some absurd record that could really put some, you know, really, uh, you know, hit the gas and catch up to Fordham a little bit faster than you would otherwise. So I, I think I'm kind of with you, like whether or not civilization is over, I think it's just going to be such a long time until Texas is really able to catch Fordham that, that our lives, I mean, you and I will, will be dead, but <laughs> everyone else's lives who are still around will be quite a bit different than, than what they are today. And, it, you know, it's interesting. I haven't done a ton of digging on this, but I did have this thought when we first put this top 25 together. I wonder, and at this data may not even exist, but I wonder what Fordham's schedules also looked like because it, it's not just that they played 160 seasons because 36 more than Texas is a lot, but it's also not like twice as many. And so, you know, th th at some point Fordham was really running up the score. And I just wonder, you know, in some of those seasons, maybe not that long ago, if there weren't a situation where half of Fordham's schedule was against, you know, D3 
liberal arts schools in the Northeast. I mean, no disrespect. There are some good baseball programs in those schools. But Well, I mean, if you go back far enough, and obviously going back an awful long time, if you're playing 160 years, you know, it's not even necessarily like college teams, right? At least in the history of college football, there is a lot of like, are these really college teams or are they playing like, you know, how, how, much, how many ringers are on the field, you know? Uh, and I would imagine baseball worked the same way in the 19th century, if not into the early 20th. Yeah, and so you wonder with some of these teams that have been around a really long time. So, you know, the Ivies, some of the public Ivies, um, Big Ten schools, you just wonder how much of, of some of these schools that have really high win totals, how much is just because their record keeping is so much better than some of these other schools? Because you're right in that college athletics, really by and large, if you go back decades was really kind of just a loose idea in a lot of cases certainly 160 years ago it was a loose idea um, but even 100 years ago it was a fairly loose idea and so you know you just wonder how many of these teams were actually playing games but they you know they maybe they weren't official and some other schools in this list maybe you're counting those as official games and that's not to say that Fordham is fraudulently at number one that's not the case at all but I'm just saying that, you know, some of this feels like it could be arbitrary just kind of based on how you're counting and what you're counting and, and all of that stuff. And that, of course, that's a level of detail that you nor I were really uh, looking to do at the time or now. Yes, absolutely. I, I did have a request at the time that, um, you know, we do that same list in the CWS era or even more modern than that. Um, and you know, maybe, uh, maybe in a future year, we'll, we'll break it down like that. Although that's going to take a lot more record keeping because as Joe said, the, the great thing about that list was, uh, mostly it was, it was already done for us. We, we just had to update it with 2020s numbers. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting look to interesting list to look back on. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people did enjoy looking at it because I, I heard from a lot of people, uh, well, while they were looking at it. So um, if you want to check that out, you can, you can do so at baseballamerica.com if, uh, if you happen to miss that uh, when it ran, I believe, in September. All right, so our main uh, you know, piece here on, on the podcast today is Joe and I are going to give out uh, some holiday gifts to the college baseball world, some players, some teams, some coaches, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to give out some gifts and then we're going to make some resolutions afterwards. Uh, you know, so hopefully that'll be a lot of fun for everyone. We're certainly having fun with it. Hopefully you guys uh, enjoy that. Uh, we'll get to all of that here in uh, in a minute. But first, check this out. All right, Joe, we're like I said, we're we're going to give out some gifts to the college baseball world writ large. Um we're not taking this super seriously. Hopefully nobody is going to take this super seriously. It's, you know, again, it's a, it's a loose, it's a relaxed episode here uh, at the end of the year. Uh, it's not the world's most original idea. So I don't really want to hear about like how I stole this idea from anywhere because yeah, I did. It was, it was, it was uh, it's a solid verbal podcast. Um, but you know, it's uh you know, we're, we're going to uh, we're, we're going to give out some gifts. Joe and I both have have come up with a, a list of of again some players, coaches, teams that that we want to we wanted to give some gifts to. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't really know where where we want to start with this, Joe. 
Uh, neither one of us has any any great gifts for for the college baseball world overall. Um, you know, I think everyone, <laughs> we, what, the gift we really want to give to everyone is a, a 2021 season, but we uh, we don't have that one in our arsenal. So, is there is there some place you want to start on your list? Yeah, so I guess I will start. Um, I'll start with kind of picking up where 2020 left off. That seems like a a decent place to start because this this first gift is a result of the way 2020 ended and, and kind of the, the, the lingering feelings about that. And so I would like to give to the programs of Miami and Arizona state clarity on the holes they have to fill this off season. So um, Arizona state obviously lost a ton of talent in the lineup. And so they're, they're breaking in some new pieces. And unfortunately they've, they've had some bad luck in that regard already with, you know, they brought in a grad transfer and Connor Davis from Auburn, who was going to be a guy in the middle of their order. And he unfortunately suffered an injury and is going to miss the season. So they're already, you know, maybe a little bit more behind the eight ball than they intended to be. So whether that's guys who have been in the program, making big jumps, Drew Swift, Hunter Jump, guys like Aubrey Major from Xavier, having instant impacts. I know they've got a couple of, of, of new faces that transferred or came in as freshmen who they're really high on. So whatever it looks like, I would like them to have clarity on that piece. And for Miami, obviously they're turning over the entire rotation and that number one ranked recruiting class has a lot of good arms in it. And I would just like Miami to, to get the clarity they need, whether it's something they've already seen in the fall or something they see leading up to the season. I just, you can't help but really, you know, feel a little bit bad for these programs that had really geared up with 2020 as the, end goal like they were building to that year and then to have it taken away before we could really see what what it is they could do uh you can't help but feel a little bit bad for those teams so i I would really like for them to be able to give it another shot here in, in 2021 and you and i have already started to have a little bit of top 25 conversation and for those reasons those are two of the hardest teams to peg this year arizona state and miami so i would just like for their own sake to to get a little clarity on the questions they have and feel good about going into 2021 as contenders again yeah, I think there are a lot of teams that would like to have some clarity. Those two teams, of course, um, you know, like you said, had had really been gearing towards this. And I mean, frankly, you can throw Georgia onto the list as they have to replace, uh, you know, the the first two thirds of their rotation. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a tricky thing to do. Uh, you know, I, I, a lot of teams would like some clarity on what would have happened in the 2020 season that would make some of these decisions maybe a little bit easier if they'd gone a little bit more of a look at, at, at some of their players, but this is what it is. So uh, Joe, you're giving the, the gift of clarity there. Um, you, you mentioned you're starting or you want to start where kind of 2020 left. And uh, I guess I'll kind of bridge the gap here uh, and, and I'll give a gift to Florida who was the number one team at the end of last season will in all likelihood be the number one team uh, when we come out with a preseason top 25 for the 2021 season. And, you know, as we've talked about here on the podcast before, Florida has a lot of everything right now. You know, they've got, they, they've got pretty much the entire team back from a team that went 16 and one and was the number one team in the country and, and sure was playing like the best team in the country when the season was halted. So I found a thing on, uh, I, I, I was looking at the goop, uh, gift guide for men. And there's something called the Jita following robot. And so the idea is you like 
this you put stuff in this robot and then it just follows you around and it carries whatever you, you've put in it um so it's not like a super smart robot or anything but basically it means you don't have to carry anything anymore so i think for a team that has pretty much everything that would be great like for like a it's like a moving ball bucket or or you could like i don't know exactly how big it is i mean you probably could throw some bats in there you know, catcher's gear, whatever you need. Um, you know, again, for, for the team that has pretty much everything, uh, I, I think this one would be a great, um, you know, addition to, to everything that they already have, which, oh, by the way, includes this year, a brand new stadium. Yeah, truly a gift for, uh, that's kind of a neat idea. It's a robot that follows you around and carries, carries things kind of neat. Um, I learned a lot in that answer. I did not know there was a goop gift guide, uh, much less one for men specifically. <laughs> uh, now I, now I do. Um, I do have a lot of fun with some of those gift guides. Like what is the, um, Oh gosh, what is the, uh, Oh, now I'm, I'm blanking on it, but year after year when dead spin back in dead spins more of its heyday, they would do. Oh, a, uh, was that William Sonoma? Yes. The William Sonoma gift guide. Cause it just has some ridiculous stuff in there. So that's, that's always a lot of fun. Just kind of, um, going through that and, and, and dreaming about how much money you'd really have to have in order to spend that kind of money on some of the things they had in that catalog. Uh, so that is a, that is a, a great gift for the team that has just about everything. Um, so I will go to, um, <laughs> so I've got, let's see, where do I want to go next to? Okay. So Florida, the class of the SEC, SEC oftentimes and widely regarded as the best conference pound for pound in the country. However, you and I have talked um, at several points over this offseason about how the ACC might actually be the deepest conference in college baseball, given that you could make, you know, a real reasonable case. You don't even really have to stretch yourself too much. You could make a reasonable case for basically all but maybe one or two programs in that league as, as postseason teams. Uh, so I'm going to gift a stress ball. Um, which, by the way, are those a thing anymore? I feel like that was a very 90s thing to people that people had on there. I feel like maybe things like fidget spinners have taken that, which in itself is a dated thing. But um, anyway, a stress ball uh, to fans of ACC teams, because I just don't think, I mean, sure, we, we really like what Virginia has, you know, really, really talented group there, Louisville, same thing. You know, I could go on and on here, but we, we really like a lot of teams in the ACC, but I just think it's going to be impossible for any team to get through the ACC without getting beaten up a little bit. I just think it's going to be one of those years. The league is simply too deep. There really aren't any weekends off, even the teams that you're like, you know, a team like Pitt, for example, or maybe like Virginia tech that's still working in a, in a, a rebuild. Like those are still going to be competitive weekend series, especially when you're going on the road to a place like Pitt, which is, you know, a longer trip for some of these teams and maybe a little bit colder and, um, there's just, there aren't going to be any easy weekends. And so I will give a stress ball to fans of ACC teams. Cause I think there's going to be some fans that think that their teams maybe are the class of the league. And even if that's going to be the case, there's going to be one or two weekends where I think you're going to start to have doubts. Like, is this team as good as I thought it was? And the answer is probably yes, but I think it's just a function of the fact that the ACC is going to be really, really good this year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, those those fans could use it. SEC fans could use it this year. I mean, when you consider the the talent in both of these leagues and I mean others around the country too, uh, off weekends are not going to be a thing, and you're just going to keep looking at other teams' pitching staffs and being like, "What is happening here?" Um, 
yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's going to be great if you're watching as a neutral observer. But yeah, if you're if you're invested in the outcome, if you're coaching in the dugout, or if you're sitting in the stands, if that's a thing, or just watching the stream, uh, it's uh, it, there are going to be some white knuckle moments for sure. So I, I think that is a uh, that's a good gift there. Um, let's stick in the ACC. And I want to give a set of Legos to NC State. NC State has, you know, Elliot Avent, you know, NC State's coach has kind of been publicly pining, uh, pleading, uh, you know, campaigning for a new new stadium for some time now. Uh, you know, they have uh, they have, they have a lot going on uh, for for NC State, kind of as a university and. and the, program has a lot of forward momentum and he really would like to uh to get a new stadium built you know kind of uh, you know it's the the capstone of, of all the work that they've done to, to build that program so i i want to get them some legos so that they can you know kind of get to work designing some things that they want you know building a nice model uh of of a you know an ideal nc state baseball stadium you know that they can plug somewhere down on that campus in raleigh I think it's a great one. Um, I obviously have just now had my first real exposure to the NC State campus and uh, having just moved here not that long ago. And, and what I can what I can say is that, um, you know, Doak is is fine. It, it's fine. Like it's not um, it, it kind of if, if you know, it's funny that I say it's just fine. I was going to say it serves its purpose. but That's actually the word that's better. Is it's very utilitarian. <laughs> you know, it's it's. Um, you know, it's, it's big enough to host. It's nice enough. You know, they've got a nice video board out there. It's a decent setting, but there's really nothing about it that, that really wows you in any sort of a big way. So I think that's a, I think that's a good gift for them. And I, I would say generally, this is a little, slightly off topic, but the athletic facility situation in NC State is, is kind of weird, just given that football and basketball are not really on campus. They're like a little bit down the road. Um, and you can see them from I-40, like the, if, if the trees are a little bit bare, you can see the football and basketball arenas from I-40 and, you know, basketball shares with Carolina Hurricanes. So it's a little bit of a mixed use facility there, but just kind of a strange athletics facility situation at, at NC State, generally speaking. So I think there, you, you may be, if you have any extra Legos left over, you might want to pass them down the hallway to some other people in the, in the department there. I think they would appreciate those as well. Um, okay, so I am going to move on to, I'm going to give, so I'm going to give a 90s era bat, or just more, multiple bats, 90s era college baseball bats, the ones with the ping, um, and not just the ping, mind you, from pre-2011 ping, I'm talking gorilla ball 90s ping, uh, to hitters in the Big 12 conference, uh, because I, the Big 12 is one of my preview conferences, and, you know, you talked about the quality of pitching in the SEC, and, and that's unmatched for sure. But I think in a league that, that oftentimes can be thought of as offensive in spurts, I think some of that has to do with schools like Oklahoma State and Texas Tech typically having, you know, really good offenses that can put runs on you like nobody's business. But I think this could be a banner year in the Big 12 pitching-wise. And part of that is I started doing some digging for preview purposes and noticed that of the top 20 prospects, according to uh, my colleague, Carlos Colazzo's prospect rankings for the 2021 draft, 
and I'm kind of totaling here in my head. So I'm stalling for a little bit of time, but of the top 20 prospects in the conference for the 2021 draft, 16 of them are pitchers and the position player prospects that are mixed in there aren't really necessarily sure things. So like you've got a Max Marshak, who's a big time athlete who really hasn't done it on the field in a full-time role yet. Eric Kennedy at Texas, who has a relatively short track record. Porter Brown at TCU, who similarly has a short track record. Then you've got Dylan Noisy, who's been really good for tech. But so even the position players that are mixed in there are kind of question marks. But the pitching in the Big 12 is going to be really good. It starts with a guy like Ty Madden and mixed with Pete Hansen at Texas. Kansas State has Wicks and Carson Seymour. TCU's pitching is really deep. Riley Cornelio and Austin Krobe and Johnny Ray. Texas Tech's got Mason Montgomery and Brandon Birdsell, who they really like. Um, you know, list really kind of goes on and on and on. I, I think it's going to be a really good year for pitching in the big 12. So those big 12 batters might need a little bit of help. So those nineties bats, which could turn, you know, any sort of average hitter into a 12 to 14 home run guy, I think could come in handy. I mean, there are a lot of hitters around the country that would love to get their hands on those. Um, so if you're giving them to the big 12 hitters, I, I think some other conferences hitters are not going to be thrilled that they aren't going to get to, to, to swing those drop fives, but it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch uh, the big 12. You and I have talked about this and like, really, this is a case where a league's best position player, at least from a prospect standpoint, um, you know, their, their best players are all underclassmen. Um, you know, they have some established older hitters. They, they, you know, you mentioned noisy. Um, they aren't maybe the most, pro prospecty exciting kinds of hitters but they're good steady players um but the the best ones you know guys like peyton graham and jace Yon, uh trey faltine you know th those guys are all on the younger side and uh it's gonna be interesting to watch them grow um you know see how quickly they can kind of take over that conference but um yeah it, big 12 hitters definitely in need of some help when you start looking around at all of the arms in that league i would I would definitely agree with that. All right, let's um, let's head out west. Um, I've got you know a personal bugaboo to to address here with a gift, and you know I, this is not just mine, but you know we've talked before about UCLA and streaming baseball games and how it doesn't really happen very much out there. So what I want to get them for a season that. You know, if you look at what's happening in uh, you know, football and basketball and everything in, in the state of California, uh, they're not going to be fans at UCLA baseball games. I, I find that highly unlikely to believe that, that that's really going to be a thing. So now, more than ever, UCLA needs a streaming video setup. So I want to get them some nice, like, I, I don't even need them to, like, go full outfit like to, so they can broadcast live on the Pac-12 network or whatever, but you know, just get some like decent cameras. Um, yeah, I don't need, I don't need play-by-play. -play. Just, just get a couple of, of decent cameras and, and a, a producer, uh, you know, for, for the home games. And I would be, uh, I think that would be a great addition for the Bruins for 2021. You know, that's great. Cause I actually have a present to piggyback on top of that one. Uh, you and I actually talked through our, just to make sure we didn't have any overlap. And so we didn't really suss this out, but this one dovetails really nicely. So I will see that and raise you the absolute miracle of miracles. And, and look, you know, the Christmas season in a biblical sense is 
in part about miracles. And um, so I would give the miracle gift of the PAC-12 network getting better carriage agreements across the country because it is just, you know, th this dead horse has been beaten, not just by us, but by every college sports podcast there is out there. And, and they're, they're a podcast well, way more equipped to really get into the nuts and bolts and the why and the how and the, all that kind of stuff about the PAC-12 network. However, what I will say is it's extremely frustrating. And what's hard for me to understand is I get that we're really in a splintered era of streaming services, right? Where we all are making choices about which channels we want. And that's how we decide in a streaming service, right? YouTube TV has some things, Sling has others, Fubo TV has some, um, or do we just kind of go with like a Netflix, HBO Max, something else amalgamation, and I'll just get my live content somewhere else. We're all kind of making those decisions, but it used to be like, okay, you understand you're making sacrifices with those, but like, if I just want to be able to, I don't know, Gary Parrish on the Ion Basketball CBS podcast always talks about this, how his cable bill is like $400 because he's just had direct TV forever. And he, you know, his bill kind of keeps going up and he keeps adding things to it. If you're paying, you know, if you're just really committed to one service and you just want to pay the maximum amount of money, you should be able to get basically every channel. Like the fact that it's not just the Pac-12 network is on a really high cable tier that you have to pay $200 a month for. That would be one thing because, okay, you know what? Maybe it is worth it. And I'm not saying it would or wouldn't be for me. But the fact that you just can't really get it, period, on most providers is just insane to me. Just absolutely, just just nuts. And it's, and it's frustrating too, and not just in a baseball sense, but you're, you know, you're looking at the schedule of college football or basketball games and you're like, oh, that might be kind of a fun game to watch. And no, oh, you can't because it's, it's Pac-12 network. So uh, again, this would be kind of a miracle gift, but I would like the Pac-12 network to get uh, improved carriage agreements before the 2021 season. And just some more baseball games on Pac-12 Network. There's a lot of Pac-12 Network Plus games out there, but there's um, at least some inflexibility in terms of what gets on there. Uh, you know, I, I can't help but go back to the number one versus number two UCLA-Stanford series. What was that, two years ago? That right. was only over Pac-12 Plus they couldn't even be bothered to put that on network, like, which, I mean, again, thank you, because I was actually able to watch it that way, but like, come on, what are we doing here? Um, yeah, I, I will say too, I, I guess I should say that and understand that I, that I mean that, and also kind of give like a, a heartfelt thank you to some of the schools actually on their in-house production do a really good job. Arizona State is one. Arizona State does a lot of streaming its early season non-conference and its midweek games in seasons where we have midweek games. Um, USC also does that. They do a pretty good job with their doing their non-conference games via streaming. So I guess I should couple that uh, that present with also a thank you to those schools that, that do a really really good job on the streaming when it's a when it is allowed to do so. Yes, absolutely. I, I would I would wholeheartedly agree with uh, with that sentiment. All right, so where do I want to go from here? Um, let's uh, let's take it to the Big Ten. Uh, you know, the Big Ten has already made a decision that they're going with conference-only games uh, this spring, and that's going to mean you know some colder weather. You know, that it it means that you can't run off to Arizona or Florida, California, or wherever in February and March. Um, you know, there are some alternatives. They might 
you know, play some games in, uh, in Minneapolis in the dome. I'm sure they'll start a little bit later. All of these details remain to be worked out, but no matter how you slice it, there are going to be some cold days in the upper Midwest. So I want to get everyone some really nice coats on the coaching staffs because they're going to need them. Uh, maybe we throw in some dugout heaters. I know those dugouts are mostly equipped, but you know, you can't have too many dugout heaters. I don't think, uh, you know, really want to make sure everyone is, is geared up for what could be a, a pretty chilly spring there in, in the upper Midwest. A really good gift. Uh, one I could also understand that, that I now fully understand the need for when I moved from Houston to the Midwest and not even the upper Midwest. You know, I would say I was kind of in the, the lower portion of the Midwest. I was wholly unprepared for cold weather and spent really the first year and a half out there, which in, encompassed two winters, being really, really cold all the time and not, in, in my naivete, being really kind of, really not understanding why I was so cold. Like I thought I was dressing warmly and it turns out I just had no idea how to dress warmly. So now these guys do, they coach in the Big Ten after all, but uh, just a gift that I can really appreciate now. Yeah, these guys all have these coats already. I just want to, you know, throw in another one because again, sure. you, you can't have too many. Maybe like an extra scarf or a balaclava or something too, just on top of it. Uh, make sure you get full coverage there. Um, okay, so my last, this is my last present on this list. It's also for a, a cold weather team, relatively speaking, but um, more specifically for an individual. Um, I, I'm sure that Oregon State has all the trappings of, of um you know, an athletic department that has the, 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 basically what I'm saying is they have everything they need in terms of taking care of, of Kevin Abel's arm. So I guess I would just like, rather than giving a physical gift, I would like just uh, to gift wishes that Kevin Abel has a healthy season for Oregon State. Uh, for his sake, for Oregon State's sake, for college baseball fans' sake, I think it would just be really cool if Kevin Abel were able to go out and end his career uh, with an outstanding season that at least some version of what we saw late in 2018 when he, when he helped push that team to a national title and, you know, going through Pac-12 preview stuff, looking at Oregon State, um, you know, they, they could really use it. I mean, Oregon State's a team that it's really hard to know what to latch on to just because we, they were pretty inconsistent early in 2020 and you look at what they have coming back and there's a lot of question marks. And if they can, if they can get a healthy Kevin Abel at the front of that rotation, I think that at least gives you that thing to latch onto. It would be a great story. I think it would also really raise the ceiling for what we can expect from the Beavers. Absolutely. Um, you know, whatever it takes, bubble wrap, uh, that, that's obviously the cliche, but whatever it takes, because he's a lot of fun to watch when he's healthy. And I, I know everyone uh, at Oregon State and, um, you know, beyond, wants to see uh wants to see what that's like again last time you know most of us got to look at it it was in omaha of course but you know he did pitch the into the next year um before his his injury so anything we can get from, from kevin abel this year in terms of full health would be would be outstanding uh all right i got two more um Joe, let, let's think through this one because, you know, some of these gift gods, they have beard oil. And so when I, when I think of college baseball beards, you know, there, there are a lot of good ones. Um, you know, you, you think of Rob Childress, uh, Butch Thompson has at times at Auburn had, had a beard, you know, plenty of players are, are out there rocking beards. Is there though, like in college baseball, do we have a Lovey Smith 
you know, I know he's no longer in college football, but, you know, just the the glorious beard that everyone can get behind. Or are we still searching for that? Because I want to give somebody some beard oil. Yeah, it feels like that's a void, honestly. I'm sure there's been a player that's just not coming to mind and, and maybe someone will be kind of. Yeah, I mean, to... like there are players every once in a while that that, that come in, and, but obviously they, they come out as well. Right. Um, you know, I. You know, you think back, you know, Seth Beer had had a nice beard going when he right. was at Clemson and, and he was far from the only one at Clemson. I'm yeah, Clemson has some guys. For yeah, sure. they've got yeah. some mountain men situations yeah. going on over there. I can't remember who the other outfielder was that played with Beer that had the whole look going for him. But, you know, I, I don't know that any of the the current, you know, super famous players are, are you know, really well bearded. No, I, I can't. um I can't think of him. I, I do appreciate you mentioned Butch Thompson. That's a beard I like because I, I like that he's really letting the gray go. Um, you know, you so if he was if he was trying to cover up the gray, you could you could gift him some of that like just for men or something to color that in. But he's really letting the gray go, and I think it's a I think it's a good look. I'm actually looking forward to when my gray starts to come in on my beard a little bit because I feel like it gives you a a little more distinction, if you will, an air distinction. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. I think. You know, if it, it, he's kind of a, a beard idol for me right now, just because he wears, <laughs> he wears the gray, he wears the gray really, really well. I mean, don't they like sell a product that like gives you a tinge of gray? Oh, puts that in there. But yeah, I feel like that would be because um, I've thought about it because I'm just kind of curious what it would look like. But a, I don't know what the long term ramp like. How long does it take for that to kind of come out? And then secondarily, is like you know putting any sort of chemical product in my you know, that close to my face. I'm not so sure about that. And I know it's just going to be a matter of time before it comes in naturally anyway. All right. All right. And uh, my last one for Eric Wedge, um, you know, NES classic, the, the Nintendo classic video game system seems to have come back into vogue a little bit. It was kind of a retro gift. I want to give that to Eric Wedge because he's trying to take Wichita back to where it was in the eighties. You know, this nationally vibrant program, national championship level program, uh, so let's, uh, you know, let, let's gift it to, to Eric Wedge and to the, you know, they can throw one in the clubhouse too. Uh, let's give Wichita state some, some NES classics. And who wouldn't love that? Eric Wedge, by the way, is a pretty good beard contender. Um, he does. Yeah. You mentioned that. That's a pretty good one. He's got a little, it's a little thicker on the chin than it is on the sides. That's the choice he's making there, but, uh, no, that's a great gift. NES classic. I, I would appreciate, certainly would appreciate that as a player having that, that option and, um, and yes, you know, Wichita State looking to get back to where they were at the, the original heyday of the of the NES Classic. Um, okay, so I've got some resolutions. Do we want to? Uh, yeah, fire? let's do some. Uh, let's do some 2021 resolutions for college okay. baseball. So I will kind of rapid fire through these a little bit uh, rather than ruminating too much on them here, and we'll we'll just kind of see where where that takes us. So uh, the first resolution, and this is one that I need to listen to myself. Teddy and I, for those, uh, just to give you a peek behind the curtain, Teddy and I have actually had this conversation off mic before that I need to listen to my own advice when it comes to this, because I will say this over the air and then we will have private conversations where I'm not following my own rules. So uh, my new year's resolution, and I, I would, I would hope that, that all you fans out there take a similar uh, resolution this year. And that's to be patient and understanding with the 2021 college baseball season. It is going to be different. Games are going to get canceled. There are going to be times where games get canceled the night before the series starts. There are going to be maybe games that get canceled the morning of and games that got canceled that maybe you personally think should not have been canceled. But um, we're not going to have all the information. 
the information is kind of changing the thresholds for what should cancel a game or ever shifting as we learn more and kind of do a trial and error through this. And it's just going to be wonky. I mean, we've learned that in football and basketball, baseball really be no different. So just be patient and understanding um, with this whole season. And I resolve that I will try to do the same right along with you. Uh, similarly, um, there's also a resolution of mine to kind of enjoy the journey more because we didn't have this season last year. So let's kind of all come together and understand that uh, just having the season is a little bit of a gift. So let's try to appreciate it in the moment more than we normally would. Also because formats of the season are changing a little bit, fewer conferences. There are some conferences that have done away with conference tournaments in 2021. There are some that have cut down the number of teams they're going to have in their conference tournament in 2021. So that does create a situation where there are going to be some games later in the season that really don't mean a whole lot because they're awarding NCAA tournament bids to the, the, you know, the, auto, the automatic bid to the regular season champion, or there's just a bunch of teams out of conference tournament contention. So we still need to appreciate those games as well. Think, think about in college football, how often we have games in November that, you know, neither of the teams are going to the playoff. Neither teams are going to a New Year's Six Bowl. And yet, you know, we still appreciate those games and watch those games for what they are. And I understand baseball is a little different animal, but let's try to be a little more like that in 2021. Uh, Another similar thing, uh, I hope coaches and conferences, pardon me, uh, resolve to be creative with the schedules. Um, I understand they're going to be a little bit different, but let's be creative as the season goes on. Uh, Maybe you lose some games. Well, we've learned with other sports that you can do some scheduling on the fly. And I hope we see a little bit of that obviously done in a safe and and responsible way, but you know, let's help each other out. Let's, let's schedule some games that weren't originally on the slate. Just try to, you know, get more in, give the kids a little more experience, uh, give the fans a little more out there to chew on. I think it might just be something that uh, the season necessitates. I would also like the weather to resolve not to cause any disruptions. Um, if we could get the weather to agree to that, that would be great because we're going to be doing enough to dodge COVID cancellations and things of that nature that we really don't need any rainouts in 2021. So if we could go ahead and get the weather to sign off on that, that would be great. Uh, and my last one is I resolve when we get to Omaha in 2021, um, you know, Lord willing, we, we have a college world series. Um, I would really like to go hard at some tailgates. Um, I've not done a good job my last couple of trips to Omaha of, you know, I'll walk around the tailgate areas, but I'd really like to try some of the, the, the food they're serving out there. Um, really, really get into it a little more. Like I I've tried things here and there, but whether it's just Joe as a, you know, an independent person just walking around or Joe in a baseball America capacity, uh, (laughs) doing some sort of content, I would really like to be involved in the tailgates a little more at the college world series this year. Um, so that's something that, uh, you know, my, my heartburn uh, will not be super glad that I will be a little more involved in tailgates, but it is something that I would like to do and a piece of the College World Series that I would like to enjoy a little bit more in 2021. The weather is um, a big one. Can you imagine this year if uh, opening day is like a cold opening day? That would, um, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, I'm, we can't have that. I'm really hoping. Yeah, ex- that your, your thought is exactly what Th- mine this is cannot like. be an opening day weekend or an opening weekend where there's a storm that just moves across the southeast. Like that, we can't have that. Yep. Yeah, I mean, because it's one thing to have rainouts. Like, look, early May in the southeast, 
you're just going to have rainouts, right? That's that's the way it goes as that weather gets really warm. But the, you're right. We, it can't be one of those opening weekends where we just have horrible weather across the entirety of the country. This also really can't be one of those years where the Midwest is just covered under a sheet of ice until mid-April. Like th- this cannot be one of those. Well, years. Remember, I got the Big Ten coaches their jackets. That's true. I mean, they'll be prepared. <laughs> it's kind of like that. Uh, I was reminded recently, our, our friend Brett Hudson of the Tuscaloosa News uh, reminded me recently of that video of the central Michigan player who went out and play, took ground balls on ice skates. And uh, that was his suggestion for what the big 10 and Mac should do to play conference games in early March. And look, who's, who says no. I mean, enough of those guys grew up skating. Like let's just uh, put them out there on skates and see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, like I said, that we, we need, we need some good weather opening weekend. You know, if it gets into May and it wants to rain, like it's going to happen, but if they're going to try and play baseball in late February, early March, like, that's going to need, I, we're going to need some help for that. I, I think so. Hopefully we can, uh, not that the rest of your resolutions are bad, but like, that's one that really, really sticks out to me. Um, you know, patience, very vital this year and the creative scheduling. Yeah. I mean, we've got to, got to see some of that, you know, what, what, what we saw with, uh, with coastal and BYU and football, what Gonzaga is doing, uh, in basketball, you know, as scheduling a game against Virginia pretty much on the fly in the middle of the season, you know, I, baseball doesn't quite work in the same way, but also it would be great if it would, like, I, I know there are a lot of teams out there right now still looking for some games, uh, you know, still looking for a weekend here or there. And I would love it if some of these top teams would, could find a way to, to get after it again, if they can do it in a, uh, a reasonable way um that would be that would be great because you know again watching gonzaga traverse the country to play whoever it, you know in some ways like that's not going to happen in baseball gonzaga basketball flies around on a private plane from my understanding and you know it's a smaller traveling party and all the rest of it but um something like that would be uh would be fantastic and you know maybe with some of these more regionalized things we can get maybe more than one texas and texas a&m game this year i don't know these are ideas um I, I don't have hypothetical off the top of your head yeah i mean just just <laughs> one hypothetical <laughs> uh I don't, I don't have a ton of uh of resolutions beyond that but I, I i would add a couple here one is that if there are midweek baseball games this year and there are going to be some there maybe not as many but if, if there are midweek baseball games I, I resolve not to complain about them uh they uh i and you know a lot of times i have come on the podcast or gone in my chat you know at baseballamerica.com on a monday and basically said i don't care about midweek baseball games uh but this year i'm i'm, I'm not going to belittle them they're uh they Having had all of that taken away, a lot of, there are going to be a lot fewer of them going on this year, no matter how you slice it. Uh, you know, I'll take, I'll take what we can get because, you know, if we have to go from Monday all the way until Thursday or Friday, uh, pretty much without any baseball games, that, that, that's not a situation that, that I want to go through. So uh, I'll, I'll, take the, uh, I'll take the games where we can get them this year. Um, I, I, uh, I definitely want to want to do that. And I would also say, I, I know Joe's not going to have a problem with this. He never does. I don't usually either, but a lot of people, 
around the country, myself included, it, it would be great if this year we can, you know, always keep close to the forefront of our mind that college baseball is more than just the major conferences. There are a lot of players out there that are going through an awful lot, went through an awful lot this fall, will go through an awful lot this spring in terms of being away from their families, being away from their friends, you know, not doing X, Y, and Z so that they can play some baseball games. And just because they're not doing it in a conference that produces, you know, Omaha teams, consistent draft picks and all the rest of it doesn't mean that they aren't, you know, grinding at it, making sacrifices to go out there and, and play baseball. So I, it, it would do all of us well, I think, to, to remember that, you know, this isn't, there is baseball that's happening far beyond the major conferences and you know th those players are really working and and giving up a lot of things to make sure that they can get out on the field this spring yeah here here uh, that's a that's a great note there and you know in a lot of cases with less to play for like we talked about i mean for some of these programs just getting to go to the conference tournament is a little bit of a you know a carrot at the end of a stick and they may, some of these players might not even necessarily have that. And so I think they are going to work to try to appreciate the fact that they just get to play if their team is in eighth place in early May and they're really out of the race, uh, just enjoying the games for what it is. I think we should approach them the same. I think that's a, that's a great sentiment there. Also, you know, one of the things that really gets me excited this time of year for the season is that by now, like you've mentioned before, Teddy, that by now, we have pretty much everyone's schedule in a normal year. And this year we have basically no one's schedule. Um, so I get why that's the case. There are a lot of things that are still being firmed up. Conferences are still trying to decide on formats and then the non-conference portion kind of has to follow once the conference format has been hammered out. So I get why it is. However, uh, if you're any coaches there that want to just like uh, pass along uh, schedules to Teddy and I just kind of like underground a little bit uh, just to, satiate our own curiosity that would be great um just because i'm curious what everybody's got going on out there so uh, if you want to send those our way we will certainly accept them and we will keep them under wraps until your program is ready to send them out but i know i'm jonesing for knowing a little bit more what we're going to be getting on opening weekend uh you know whether or not we get to you know see it with our own eyes or how we enjoy that um but it just would be kind of nice to to know what we're going to experience because right now uh, opening weekend is uh, largely a question mark in a lot of respects. Yeah, I mean, I know of at least one program that we're going to rank in our top 25 that is a open on opening weekend. They're, they're looking. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's an interesting time and everyone's just trying to figure it out. So again, that goes back to the patience, Joe. You got you to have patience for these things. I've already broken my resolution. <laughs> Just 10 minutes later, I've already decided I'm too impatient and I want coaches to like send their schedules to us through the black market channels to get, get that information. Uh, indeed. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the scheduling situation, you know, we didn't talk about news cause there hasn't been a whole lot of news because of the holidays, but you know, it, it continues to percolate underneath the surface. Uh, pulmonary made in, I, I think inadvertently made a bit of news when he went on, uh, radio somewhere in Louisiana. I lose track of what stations are where, but he went on radio somewhere in Louisiana and was talking about how he really thought that the SEC was going to go with um, 10 four-game weekends. 
there has been significant, well, I shouldn't say significant, a lot of coach, a, a lot of people around the league that I have, have talked to said that that is not as far along as what the initial report made it seem like. Paul himself like reached out to one of the reporters in Louisiana after that radio interview and said, you know, kind of tried to walk back um, what he had said a little bit, um, you know, was two weeks ago here on this podcast that Mark Kingston said he expected, you know, right now that, that his guess was that the SEC would do 12 weekends of, of three games. So still things to, to be worked out there. Some other conferences have, have firmed it up more. The Big South, uh, for instance, uh, firmed it up last week. Um, you know, but yeah, it, until some of these bigger dominoes fall, it's, it's really hard to get schedules because, you know, for instance, in, in an ACC school like a, like a Clemson, like we talked about with Mark Kingston, like they want to play the Clemson-South Carolina series. It's hard for Clemson, I would think, to really firm up its schedule until it knows what South Carolina is doing. Um, and, you know, in the ACC, the, the league has settled on a, a scheduling format, but, you know, they still have to go out and reformat or format the schedule. Uh, to fit what their their coaches had decided on. So, yeah, it's still going to be a few weeks before we uh, we really get an idea. There are some Mountain West schedules out there because their conference made a very early determination about what they were doing. You know, but even those, you know, some of the non-conference games on those Mountain West schedules, you know, could be, you know, could be changed if you know a Pac-12 school or uh, you know if the Pac-12 does something. And then they have to find that they have to get out of, you know, one of these, these series or, or midweeks or whatever they have with the, with the Mountain West school. I mean, it, it, until, until it's final, it's not final, I would say. There's, I think it's, it's just this year of moving parts. I stumble a little bit just because it's, um, I think it's, what I wanted to say is that it's easy to kind of, I, I would like to applaud the Mountain West for kind of making an early decision on that. But on the other hand, it's, it's all very preliminary and it goes back to a point, I think, that I made a few weeks ago is that there really aren't any right answers here. And on the one hand, it's, it's very easy to applaud a, a, a conference like the Mountain West for making a, what seems like a reasoned rational decision to do their, the schedules the way they are with allowing some, some wiggle room for non-conference games. And it's also easy to bash on the Big Ten for, you know, again, in another sport, making a very quick decision that now, you know, people are pressuring, you know, people on the outside fan types are, are pressuring to, to try to get that changed again. So it's really easy to kind of make those snap judgments here, but there's so many moving parts and you're right. There's, there are bound to be some decisions that get made on the conference or program level that are yet to be made that are going to affect schedules that we already have seen and schedules that we already, you know, right now we feel pretty confident about. So it's, it is just a constantly moving target and we're, we're not, the reality is as much as I would like to know, we're probably not going to have a great idea of what games are going to get played on to say nothing of the second, third, fourth weekend, but we're not going to have a great idea of what games are going to get played on February 19th until I don't know what February 14th, that previous Monday. I mean, that seems like a, I mean, it's kind of the way it worked in basketball. I don't know why it would be a whole lot different in baseball. Yeah. I mean, uh, the SEC came out with a soccer schedule, like, a week before their season started. I don't know if anyone's going to cut it that close in baseball, um, but it's again, in, until, until it's all set, like it's hard to say anything's final uh, in 2020. And um, I expect that to be 
you know, true, at least in the first half of, of 2021 as well. All right, Joe, we, uh, we've covered a lot of ground here in terms of our, our gifts and our resolutions. We do not have a guest this week, which means we didn't ask anyone about their favorite sandwich. But, you know, we've been doing this now for a few months and we have not uh, really addressed the question ourselves. We, we put somebody on the spot every week. I'm putting you on the spot right now. You didn't know that this was coming. Uh, in, in terms of, you know, describing their favorite sandwich, whether that's just their favorite sandwich to make at home or, or a sandwich to get out from a, a specific place. So uh, I'm interested in, uh, in how you might answer that question uh, that, that we pose to, to all of our guests. So, okay. So I kind of, one of the reasons I've been fascinated by the way our guests have answered this question is truly because we've gotten so many wide ranging uh, responses, right? So we have the people who talk about the homemade stuff, the, the people who talk about the sandwiches. Lately, it feels like it's been leaning a little more towards specific sandwiches from local places. And, uh, you know, perhaps that's because coaches are often picking up food quickly, you know, kind of in between things or, you know, having someone go pick it up and bring it to them, things like that. So maybe that's part of why that is the case. So I will give two answers here. Uh, at home sandwich is a peanut butter and jelly. And I prefer grape jelly. Uh, strawberry though, also quite good. I have this, this saying, and my fiance gets tired of hearing me say it, but a peanut butter and jelly sandwich always hits the spot. I have never, and part of it's because I'm not eating them every day. I guess if I eat one every day, eventually it would, it would reach a saturation point, but I've never had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and afterwards been disappointed with it. Like it just, it hits the spot every single time. Like I just love a good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, there was a period of, in time uh, of time in my life where I was I was eating pretty well otherwise, but I was eating way too many peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and I, I wondered why I wasn't why I was putting on a little bit of weight until I really thought about how caloric things like peanut butter and jelly are. So uh, I found out very quickly. But uh, so that's my my homemade answer. My um, my answer from a specific place is I went in New Orleans. Um, I went. It was a. Uh, it was actually a, a bachelor party weekend in New Orleans. Uh, when you when you live in Houston, going to New Orleans for bachelor parties or just weekend trips or, or what have you um, is a fairly common thing. It's just a relatively short drive down down I ten. But we went to um, we went to this place in New Orleans called Mothers. Uh, it's on Poydras, and it's a type of place where you know the, the line is like out the door. And you, you have to like, you just have to be prepared to, to wait. Um, but I had a, a, a po'boy uh, that was just like loaded up with, with, with shrimp. And I think I had a couple of meats on there. You kind of like, you could kind of add things, you know, that you, uh, that you wanted to this sandwich. I, I think I kind of went a little bit off menu on it. Cause the guy, the guy behind the counter was, I kind of asked him, can I put this on it? Or can I put that on it? And he was like, yeah, well, you know, whatever you want. He was kind of trying to hurry me along, I think, because the line was pretty long. Uh, but th this, um, this sandwich was so, so, so good. The bread was so, so, so good. I was fuller than I have ever been in my life. And I was kind of grateful that we had walked there. So it meant that we had to walk back. So by the time we got where we were going at the end of it, uh, I felt a little bit better, but cause if, if I had been a passenger in a car after we finished that meal, I would have fallen asleep basically immediately. But I remember the bread. I remember the shrimp. I also remember it had like a hot link sausage in it. 
like I really did throw a whole bunch of stuff inside this sandwich, but it was very, very good. That, uh, I mean, like we talked about when Travis Stewart was on here, it's hard to go wrong in New Orleans, right? I mean, you're, uh, yeah, absolutely. No, no matter where you're going to eat, you're going to find some good food. Yeah, it's true. I've eaten some pretty average places in New Orleans that like were are, are high on the scale for meals I've had. But, you know, just given all the options in New Orleans are pretty mundane, average places to eat. Yeah, uh, I would I would definitely take uh, take that. That that does sound like a, uh, a great sandwich there. All right, so there you have it. There you have Joe's sandwich. Um, Joe, do you want to do you want to save mine for another day, or or do do the people want to know you know where where I'm going with my sandwich takes? Like, so I was gonna say let's let's save it and like do a a, a radio tease, if you will. But the, on the other <laughs> hand, though, my second my second thought was that this feels a little bit. This episode feels almost like a season finale on like television where, you know, you and I have been kind of grinding out episodes with guests and we had certain themes, like for a while, all of our guests, it seemed like all we talked about was how did it feel if the season ended? What have you been doing since then? You know, then there was like a summer We got session. some good quarantine recommendations. We did, yeah. It was, there was like a summer portion of it where it was kind of like, so, you know, you've been getting back into it a little bit. Like, what have you been working on? What Then there was the fall where it was like really our most normal that things had been. And now it really does feel like when we return to the podcast, like the next episode, it almost feels like our, our focus shifts a little bit to preseason stuff, whether that, that actually gets expressed in our content or not. But I know just in terms of mentality, that's kind of what we're doing now is shifting to preseason. So it feels like maybe having your recommendations finish this podcast would be a nice capper on this season of podcasts we've been doing. All right. Um, so when we started doing this, my dad thought this was like really funny that I was doing it because he doesn't remember me as really liking sandwiches growing up, which is in itself interesting because he packed one for me like literally every day of my childhood. But anyway, um, I don't know, like maybe he's misremembering, maybe that was true. Regardless, I uh, I don't know. I, I have consumed a lot of sandwiches uh, in, in my adult life. Uh, I think that's a really easy food when you're on the road uh, to to go and and, and grab. Um, they're generally a little bit cheaper, which you know the expense account likes. Uh, you know, so and there are more options. You know, if you're if you're dead set on eating like pasta, you're going to be disappointed more often, I think, than if you're like, you know what, I'll just eat a sandwich. Um, you know, because. It's just hard to find the place that's going to do, you know, the, the pasta just the right way. You, you got to spend more time on Yelp, is is what I'm saying, than, uh, than I do if I'm looking for for a good sandwich. Uh, you know, at home, you can't go wrong with a BLT. Um, maybe you put some pimento cheese on there. Maybe you don't. Uh, but that that's a that's a good solid at home sandwich. Out on the road, I'm again. I I've eaten a lot of of really good sandwiches. I think though, I've got to go with a grouper sandwich in Florida, specifically Frenchies in Clearwater. Honestly, the thing that I miss the most about covering like pro ball is that I no longer go to spring training, which means I'm not really on the Gulf Coast of Florida all that much anymore. And that really limits my grouper sandwich intake, which is unfortunate because I have definitely like flown into Tampa and driven straight to Frenchies probably more than once 
uh, back in the days when I would go to spring training. Um, so yeah, I, I uh, think I got to recommend that. I've had Grouper Rubens, they're good. But if you just like do the the normal Grouper sandwich, just like you would do a chicken sandwich, just you know lettuce, tomato, cheese, uh, whatever sauce they're putting on there with the the fish, whether it's fried or grilled, like I, that's uh, you know that that's an outstanding sandwich for me. Yeah, sounds uh, a seafood sandwich uh, always a a good option. Sometimes it kind of saves you too because with um, you know, sometimes with seafood, it's kind of nice to have the sandwich gives you a little something to hold on to, um, you know, unless you're having just like a, a fillet of fish where you can, you know, you work it with a fork or, you know, you're having some sort of seafood pasta where you're using a fork, like just having the, the sandwich as a carrying mechanism for the seafood is great. So certainly won't, uh, can't go wrong there. And, and, um, yeah, uh, getting the, the fresher seafood in Florida is something that, um, you know, I haven't had in a long time, so I'm looking forward to my next trip uh, back there. Big, big seafood guy. I guess when you grew up on the Gulf Coast, that kind of gets baked into your your DNA a little bit. So um, it's a little bit better, you know, out here in North Carolina than it was when I lived in the Midwest. Um, so that that has been nice, but certainly nothing like the uh, the stuff on the Gulf Coast for sure. Absolutely. All right. So, like Joe said, uh, this does kind of feel like we're coming to the end of a of a season, if you will. Um, and when we come back at you next week, uh, it'll be a new year. It'll be 2021. And Joe and I will be full bore onto the preview content, which will be hitting the website and the magazine uh, in the weeks to come. Uh, I would encourage you to uh, to check out the website, you know, again, in the coming weeks as we, we start to roll all of that out. But you can check it out now. Uh, particularly, if the, particularly if you're into the pro side, there are a lot of trades happening around Major League Baseball and our, our prospect team is analyzing those as, as they come in. And we are still rolling out top 10 prospects uh, for each of the 30 big league clubs. I, I believe the West divisions will be starting up uh, next week. So make sure to, uh, to check those out. And, and if you're into the East or Central division clubs, those are all online already and you can dive into them there and you can order the uh, or pre-order the the prospect handbook which we set to press uh, I guess now just about a week ago so it'll be coming to you um, you know in in the early part of 2021 ahead of ahead of spring training there um, remember you can subscribe to this podcast on all of your favorite podcast platforms stitcher Spotify Apple podcasts wherever you get your podcast, you can subscribe. We would love it if you would rate and review us. It helps other people to find the podcast. Helps us understand what, what we're doing right, what we're not doing right. And uh, you know, if you give us five stars, it makes us look good for our bosses. And, and who doesn't like that? Who doesn't want to give that gift to somebody else this holiday season? Uh, so you can do that, uh, again, over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you're getting this podcast. You can follow Joe and me on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA. We will be back here next week with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, till then, I want to thank you all for listening. It's uh, again, it, it's been a, a weird year, a strange year, uh, a, a difficult year, but we, we appreciate you uh, for sticking with us throughout it. Thanks again to Rap Soto for presenting the Baseball America College podcast. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll see you next time. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.